Gorgeous George and Goes, are you ready? Junkie Nation, are you ready? Well, let's get it on. From the fight capital of the world, Las Vegas, Nevada, this is MMA Junkie Radio. We roll it! What's going on, Junkie Nation? Gorgeous George and Ghost reporting for duty here on a Thursday morning. Excited to talk with you for the next hour or so as we have some news to discuss in mixed martial arts. And one of my favorite guests, John Anik, will join us as well. You know how those go. Uh, Those can go for a while because we touch on so much and he's always so welcoming with his time. So Bellator fights on the weekend. Two of those cards to discuss. The UFC, of course, has their fight night. The news, Anik. First, I'll get this out of the way because uh, I like to give you guys as much notice and as much repetition of the promotion of our watch along, which we have been consistent for the past few years. But we kind of go in cycles of making sure that, you know, we're still going to do it. And we've been green lighted all the way through International Fight Week, UFC 288 on March 6th with Cejudo and Henry. Sorry, uh, Henry Cejudo and Aljamain Sterling at the top of the bill. Still working on a Coleman event. In fact, that's something we'll touch on with John Anik. And then June, uh, I believe it's June 10th, June 8th, UFC 289, Amanda Nunes versus Juliana Pena. I'm not too sure it goes, and I discussed that one too much. I'm not really happy about that main event. And then lastly, Alexander Volkanovsky and Yair Rodriguez. Uh, at this moment, it appears that's a headline bout for the UFC 290 card, which is International Fight Week here in Las Vegas. I believe that one's uh, July 8th, and June 10th would be the other one in June. June 10th, by the way, if you don't know, if you're a Canuck, be happy they're coming to Vancouver. Uh, sorry, Calgary, you keep missing out on getting payback for a card that got all mangled about 10, 10, maybe 15 years ago when Dana White famously said, we'll be back and I'm going to make it up to you. What are you waiting for? Although this wouldn't have been a makeup, that's for sure. I really don't like the top of that card. But anyways, um, so yeah, lock it in. Bellator, sorry, UFC 288, May 6th. Watch along. Let's get to the show. All right, guys. So they're still trying to fill the UFC 288 slot. Here's where we stand. Colby Covington says, I'm ready on 24 hours notice, 48 hours notice. And then when they probed a little, it really sounded like he had about a week or two notice to get ready to fly over there to be the weigh-in guy or possibly fight. And he made it. And that's not easy, folks, when you travel across the world on late notice to do it. He's never really out of shape. You got to commend him for that. But the whole 24, 48 hours notice, that was part of the stick. And, and that's fine. That's what Kobe Covington is right now. You know, he kind of gives you a different story of what's going on. And that's fine. I accept it. But, you know, um, Jesus, we're way further out from UFC 288 than what appears to be the notice that Covington was given. Right. So you got to consider him a live player unless he has a wedding or has something so important that he just, you know, already can't commit to it. I, I, I consider him a live player. It's just a matter of compensating him, right? Then you got Bilal Muhammad, who earlier in the week stated, I can make 275, but not 270. Then today he tweeted, I can make 270. And Gilbert Burns, who says, I'm in, let's go. I just fought. I'm in shape. I want to fight. I want to fight frequently. By the way, that would be three times so far in 2023. Hats off to him for even considering it, right? 
do you guys want to see two of those three? Or what about this idea that's been floated around between Paulo Costa and Jan Vlahovic? Both have said, we're in, we're in, although uh, Vlahovic is saying, he, he declined me. He said, he said that in a tweet earlier today. Where do you stand on this? Yeah, I was a little confused by that. Um, that that's, But, you know, when it comes to Paul Costa, I can understand that. Um, you know, something like that, if it were to materialize that way, I would say do that, man, and, and just give everybody their proper due for an important situation like that. Um, not much is lost. You know, it's, it's a middleweight and a light heavyweight. Um, if you could do it, I'd say do it. But other than that... The Welters? Yeah, no, no. If you could do Blahovich and, and Paulo Costa and they okay. can agree, to me, you don't lose much with that type of fight. I would maybe do something like that. And that would be entertaining. It'd be fun. But I don't really believe... Uh, I just don't think that'll happen. But uh, as far as like what you're left over with the other ones, man, it can get so tricky, right? Like I love that Bilal Muhammad's being more vocal, though, right? Like mm-hmm. He didn't have that problem before, but for some reason when this popped up, um, I feel like he kind of noticed that like when Gilbert Burns jumped the ball real quick, boom, got his name in there. Um, I'm glad that he's got a response for that and he's getting in there with Colby Covington. We really don't know, but I'll tell you this much, man. I feel like the UFC already knows whatever their answer is. You know, this seemed like something they were going to tackle early on Monday. And mm-hmm. I don't know that it takes that long to, to figure it out. Right. You're either in or you're out. Um, people that do things like this, Gilbert Burns, Colby Covington, I think they're pretty. They pretty much know they're going to be rewarded in the pocketbook, and uh, so I don't think that you know it's not. It's not like the UFC had to pick up the phone and call them, is what I'm getting at. So uh, yeah, man, I hope that that does clear up because that that card needs help. It, it needs help with that. Who do you want it to be of the three? I think I'm all for Colby versus Malal, and the winner just gets Edwards and Abu Dhabi. I appreciate right. everything Burns is doing. That guy's got the biggest balls in the whole division. He's just taking on anyone, man. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter if it's Mazadal and Mazadal's coming off three losses in his hometown, although Burns doesn't live far away, um, or even Shamayev. Just give me that guy, the boogeyman. Like, he seems to be everywhere. I, I appreciate it, but it seems like the other two are closer to a title shot, and this would be definitive. Yeah. I mean, the only thing I don't like about it is the short notice of it. But yeah. at least they're both they're both in the same boat, though. That's the thing, right? Bilal Muhammad has led us all to believe that he's just been training. And Colby Covington, we know if he just did it not too long ago, he just made weight. He's got to be somewhat in the right frame of mind. So it's like both guys are getting thrown in. So in that case, I'm kind of okay with it. As where with Gilbert Burns, it, it gets a little bit more tricky. Um, I'd rather not. But, uh, hey, man, I love the way that dude fights. I, I wouldn't mind. Burns is in a good position to spoil things for either one of those oh, yeah. two guys. He's gambling with house money at this point. The other two have a lot more to lose. Walal, the eight-fight win streak, and Colby, the already kind of promised position. And I think for them, 24 hours, 48 hours is like an eternity. I bet you right now I'm going to throw some number numbers out. Let's just say they make uh, 300000 to just show. Don't worry about the win bonus. If you fight, we'll give you this. But because it's late notice, we'll double it to six hundred thousand. And I could see both of them guys going, "I'll do it for a million or eight hundred thousand. The UFC says six hundred is, is all we got, and so they end the conversation. And now both of those guys are laying on their head off the pillow, going, "Man, I could ruin my title shot, but I'm in shape. What if I win? I'll make six hundred G's 
you know, um, and now that guy's out of my way and I'm next. So they're thinking that, right? And then the UFC's going, holy shit, should we give them the million? <laughs> We're almost two weeks away. We need a Coleman event. So they're mm -hmm. kind of sleeping on that too. I bet you there's this little internal battle that happens in these days where both sides are just waiting and waiting and then something finally locks in. Yeah, but I don't think it would take this long. I, I think now it's just a matter of how do we how do we make this announcement or what? Um, I, I think they've kind of figured it out by this point. It's Thursday. Um, yeah, so, something's had to happen. And I wonder if it even helps Costa or that Costa and Vlahovich are doing this, if it helps the UFC side, because if that, they get that, then the other guys are out of that big leverage payday where they can make some money. Um, and I bet you that weighs on their minds too. That's the fun game. Uh, you know, if you wind up not getting one of those big paydays, it's not fun, but it can be fun when you can capitalize, use the leverage and make some of it. And then for us to speculate, it's just our jobs. All we know is that fight card could use honestly goes both of those. Look what they have so far. Uh, we got our title fight. Okay. We have no problem with that. Jessica Andrade, Jean Jonan, two top uh, strawweights, I'm in. And then you got Drew Dober against Matt Frabola. Well, okay, you know, that's, that's cool, but that's not – you don't pay 85 bucks for that. Right. You might be able to squeeze one of that in if the rest of the card has something, but, you know. You do have Bryce Mitchell against Mo Slar Evloev. I'm in. 15-1 and one against 16-0. and 0. I'm in for that one. Chaos Williams rings the violence. Um, Marina Rodriguez versus Werner Jandarova. I can handle that, but I can only handle either them or that other one I mentioned, Andrade versus Jan, as part of the main card. I don't need two strawweight fights on the main card, although all four of those ladies are gangsters, right? Mm -hmm. Then you got Devin Clark versus Kennedy and Chuck Wu. I'm down, but just not for the pay-per-view. I'm, I'm worried about the pay-per-view. That's what I'm worried about. I don't see five fights I can throw on the pay-per-view. I'll give you the title fight. I'll give you the Andrajanyan or Marina Rodriguez and Werner Jandarova. I'll give you Mosar Evloev versus Bryce Mitchell. Um, but that's about it. They could honestly use the welterweights and Costa and, and Blahovich. Come on, UFC. Like, seriously, these are pay-per-views, man. Like, if you can pull it off and it ain't, it's only going to cost you a million in payroll, another 250 to each guy, four guys, get it done, man. Get it done in the big picture. You're asking more money for people to, when they go to the arenas, that's why they're breaking the gate records, you know, and, and the company's worth, it's got a lot of value, obviously, good for you guys. Every year you break the re the revenue record. Come on. Well, at the same time, too, like, you're, so you want my money, but guess what? There's NBA playoffs going on. There's NHL. So if I am, if this is a card where I go, eh, I'm going to pass on this one. I got things to do. You know, that's the thing. Sometimes you'll catch me on a weekend when there's nothing's going on, and I'm like, well, what else am I going to do? And I'll fork over the money. This is a weekend where there are things to do. I I, I couldn't agree more. NHL, NBA, and then all, all the other sports that are just out there and all the streaming services that present a lot of things. The big boxing match. Well, no, sorry, oh, yeah. that's this weekend, not next weekend. But, but you still would have you spent the money, though, right? That's, that's money that's true. that you have. That's true. And guess what, goes? It's only 11,000 more, uh, closer to 12,000 more pay-per-views to make up a million dollars in salary if 250,000 X, you know, more were to go to whatever Bohovich and Costa make 
And then, uh, and, and look, the loser of Lahovic and Costa, they don't lose anything. Lahovic, you know, he's not a title contender yet. He's even talking about dropping the fight Israel Adesanya. I don't think it'll hurt his stock. And then mm -hmm. the other one, the, the welterweight, yeah, some, someone's going to take a hit there depending on which two of the three are there. But no one's falling and tumbling down to number 15. They're just right. basically back where Burns was when Burns fought Shemaev. And now Burns is basically right back up there saying, what's up now? You know, he's involved in these conversations. So, yeah, there's some risk involved. But payday and, 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 and what if you win, too? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anyway, all right. Uh, and Bellator has a couple offerings. We're going to get to those when we come back, but I think we're ready to go with our guest, John Anik. He calls the plays for the UFC. As you all know, he's the the play-by-play -play announcer for all of the pay-per-views, most of their ESPN cards, if not all, and, of course, select fight nights. He is a G. He's one of our favorites. Start off with John Anik. What's going on, Junkie Nation? Gorgeous George and Goes are back with another superstar in the world of combat sports. Future Hall of Famer, John Anik, joins us here on the program. What's up, J.A.? Thank you, buddy. I appreciate the intro. It's good to be with you guys. You know, you texted me actually last night. Normally, we book way out in advance, but I'm going on vacation with my family this weekend. And uh, here we are about 12 hours after we were texting. Rough night for, uh, for some of our local outfits, to be sure. Where are you headed? Anywhere exciting? Can you share? Is there a yeah, no, of course I can share. We're going uh, just up the state of Florida. One of the great things about living in South Florida is that these staycations can happen all over the state and oftentimes only 45 minutes or an hour from your front door. So we're just going up to Orlando to celebrate uh, one of my daughter's birthdays. We gave her the, the choice. You can have a birthday party or we can take you to you know a resort type place and parents who don't want to throw birthday parties get very excited when they choose the resort. The Magic Kingdom, I imagine. Nice. Okay. Um, all right, John, speaking of Florida, I could have sworn you told me once when you were leaving Vegas, you were moving to Fort Lauderdale. Did these floods come near you, uh, you or your family? You guys okay? Thank you for asking. It's been crazy down here. There's like a gasoline shortage right now. Thankfully, we're about 30 minutes north of Fort Lauderdale, so we didn't experience a lot of that. But the sky just does a lot of crazy things in South Florida and I guess across the entire state of Florida Oftentimes we find ourselves boarding up our houses and seeing tornadoes rip through the backyard and uh, there's just a lot of weather down here. I'll, I'll go one week having to put a hose in my pool because we haven't had rain in two weeks to having to drain it because it's overflowing. So thankfully we, we dodged this latest bullet, but uh, it's always something with the sky down here, boys. You ever found a gator or a snake in your pool? We had a turtle in our pool when we emptied it out and got it resurfaced. And uh, I'm not particularly great with animals. And this turtle was like 50 pounds. So we had to get that thing out, oh, wow. me and uh, a young lady up the street. But it was actually my son was like a little baby. And I was trying to hold the baby so that maybe somebody else would get the turtle. But, you know, <laughs> I guess they needed the guns, the little guns to help get the turtle out of the pool. But, yes, we oh, have yeah. signs actually in our backyard. I live mm -hmm. on a street that has water on both sides, man-made, at least on one side. Uh, but I have a sign in my backyard that says beware of gators. So, mm -hmm. Hey, John, you're making some bank, man. Soon I want you to be one of the people I consider that possibly could buy, could have bought Shaq's house. I know he's <laughs> so <laughs> It's amazing. People think people on television make a lot of money. No comment on the making bank. But I'm getting old, so that helps, mm -hmm. I guess, as you get older, right? Yeah. John, USC 288, let's start with that. We're still waiting. I kept hitting the refresh. 
you know, there's the cost of Lahovich stuff going on, and then these the welterweights. Colby says he's ready to go. All you got to do is call him. At least that's what he told everybody in London. Valal says, not only can I fight, I can make 170 now. The scale's set. And, uh, of course, Gil Vern's, uh just came off a fight but says he's ready to go. What is your preference? Something that makes sense, we'll call it, like something that works with what us traditional sports guys like, and that's a run to the title, right? Guys, the top guys eliminate each other until there's a clear number one contender or whatever. Or do you... Do you uh, co-sign on just, look, if it's got to be Costa Blahovich, holy cow, that would be bonkers. Do you have a preference in what you want? Now, I know it might be a dumb question because I set it up in that traditional guys like to see the big fights that lead to the championship title. But at the same time, geez, I feel like I'm shoving two guys in there and saying, hey, bail us out. And I and I think you, you don't tell the, the Patriots or the 49ers, hey, can you play on Wednesday? You know, it, it, the game's on Sunday. We know we have six days to prepare. That, that That's that's why I'm phrasing it that way. Yeah, there are a lot of layers to it. It seems a little bit disappointing that a fight of the magnitude and the relevance of Gilbert Burns versus Bilal Muhammad that could either be a co-main event to Leon Edwards versus Colby Covington on pay-per-view or a five-round UFC fight night main event. I would like to see that get the proper buildup and the training camp that goes with it on both sides. But here's the thing, and certainly Paolo Costa and Jan Bohovic, that's a nice fight and maybe less relevant divisionally, obviously, as far as the light heavyweight division is concerned. But Hamza Chimaev is the number one welterweight contender, but he has left the division. So that, and I've said this to Bilal's face, that made Bilal Muhammad on merit the number one contender, even if maybe it's Colby Covington who has the number next to his name. I don't look at the rankings. I have no idea who is the number one contender on paper right now. But because Hamza Chimaev left the division, that's what elevated Bilal and gave him the ultimate ground there. I think a fight between him and Gilbert Burns makes all the sense in the world. I love the fact that in an era where champions like Israel Adesanya at times have gotten the opportunity to call their shot, that Leon Edwards is trying to call his shot. I do believe Colby Covington, inactive or otherwise, is one of the best pound-for-pound fighters in the world, and I understand that there's a case to be made for him as well. So I would like to see Gilbert Burns and Bilal Muhammad selfishly because I am calling UFC 288 in a couple weeks, but bigger picture, I feel like both of those guys deserve the training camp that leads up to a fight that has such magnitude in terms of their career trajectories. Everybody in the sport of MMA loves the way you can explain and break these things down. And as the guy that captains the ship on fight night, is your input ever taken into these matchmaker meetings? I know they got to sell pay-per-views, and I know promises may have been made or this guy showed up, but that's inconsistent. Sometimes what the president says, Dana White, Pavlovich was the number one, or sorry, a backup fighter. He's fighting Blades this weekend. I don't see him in the in the John Jones talk, and it's happening in other cases. You know you know which ones. Um, so, like, what about the communication there? I feel like you're the captain of the Titanic. Maybe I should use another ship because I don't want to <laughs> sink. But, yeah. And Dana White is the owner of the White Star Line, but, you know, I imagine the owner and, and the captain might want to talk or, I, I don't know, are, are you ever on a Zoom for these things? Because on fight night, you're telling us the importance of certain fights, but then sometimes, like I say, some of these things just become other things. Unequivocally, no. I certainly pick what I'm going to talk to Dana White about. Sometimes I'll have a conversation with Sean Shelby and Mick Maynard and try to sort of, uh, you know, see if I can 
get a lean here or there, but by and large, I really do try to stay in my lane. Now, there are times where I feel the need, and perhaps I should stay more in my lane, but to go public and uh, either give a fighter like Bilal Muhammad a platform based upon what he's accomplished, or push out a tweet that suggests, man, you know, I understand why Kobe's getting the shot, but can we at least acknowledge that Bilal Muhammad hasn't lost in several years? You know, Gilbert Burns is my fucking boy. But he has lost to Hamzat Shimaev and Kamara Usman, right? So he has had big opportunities and he hasn't necessarily won those fights. But I can make a case for Gilbert Burns as the number one contender right now. So, you know, I feel torn. I can state a candidacy for a lot of these guys. But no, they do not ask for my opinion. And uh, I am happily, gainfully employed as uh, as the lead play-by-play voice for the UFC. And I want to stay that way. But at the end of the day, as Joe Rogan always says, we are professional fans our hearts are invested in this as fans. And, um, you know, sometimes despite uh, my twin brother's greatest efforts to shut my mouth, sometimes I can't always touch my top lip to my bottom lip the way I should. <laughs> well, trust me, as a guy that is having trouble separating his lips, <laughs> holy uh-huh. you don't want to go there. But anyway, um, all right, UFC 288 also has a main event. I'm sure the UFC will deliver for us a co-main event. Um, the main event is Aljamain Sterling versus Henry Zahudo. X's and O's, man, you know, these guys are great fighters. I don't like to spend too much time on that because I think there's better representatives, especially on the junkie side like our Dan Tom that can bring that to the public. What I do want to ask you is this. We're talking about Nate Diaz almost a year before he fights again. Hey, did free agency work out for him? Francis Ngannou, he's kind of going through something. Did it work out for Henry Cejudo? He retired because he wanted more money, the right fights. He wanted Wolkanovski at the time, but now we are almost three years later. He is walking straight into a title fight. So did the leverage game work? And it, does it offset not having, you know, or entering with that much amount of rust on your body? Well, I'm a, it's a good question. And I would almost throw it back on you, George, and say, what type of juice will we be able to extract from Henry Cejudo when it comes to this particular narrative in our fighter meeting, right? Why are you back here? Is the goal to be C4 and fight Alexander Volkanovsky or Yair Rodriguez and become a three-division champion to go with your Olympic gold medal? Is the goal to beat Aljamain Sterling, who, if he beats you, is probably the greatest bantamweight of all time? Is the goal financial? You know, I don't think he's going to be given us any great revelation as far as his real estate career is concerned. I mean, it seemed like that was going to be his platform, his financial platform when he left fighting. And instead, it seems like, unless I'm ignorant on this, you know, he's been monetizing YouTube and he's a G. I mean, he is a brilliant, brilliant combat sports mind. I ingest so much of what he puts out there, but I don't know is the sort of long-winded answer. I don't know why Henry Cejudo is back. I think money has got to have a lot to do with it. C4 would be historic, but in thinking of that, I, that's why I gave long. I woke up this morning, I thought about it, and I, I said, I'm going to give Francis Ngannou another six months. A lot of you are crapping on the guy saying it didn't work out or whatever, but, you know, like Curtis Blade said in a pre-fight meeting, hey, you know, this guy winds up fighting somebody for $50 million in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> Maybe it did work out. Who knows? But, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what's in Cejudo's mind because when he mentioned C4, I thought, wow, that would be historic. I like the matchup, but I don't like it as much now with him having not fought for a while and the beast that Volkanovski has become. Yeah, you're absolutely right. When the foundation was trying to be laid by Henry Cejudo for a fight against Alexander Volkanovsky, Volkanovsky was not the number one pound-for-pound fighter in the world. But it's going to be very interesting to see how Cejudo comes back from that. You know, Dominic Cruz is a guy who right now is the consensus greatest bandweight of all time. I don't have to tell you guys that he does not believe in ring rust at all. And 
if there were ever to be a combat sports athlete where I really wouldn't worry too much about a layoff, it probably would be Henry Cejudo. I did worry a little bit when I saw that he needed stitches pretty early on in training camp. It has been dealing with a pretty big welt under that left eye. But Henry Cejudo is a, a master preparer. You know, he's not going to leave any stone unturned. And I expect him to, to, if he doesn't present his best version, to be pretty close. I think the bigger issue might just be the opponent. I feel like LeBron James, and I've used up 22 seconds of the three of the 24 clock, and goes is standing wide open on the three-point line. So I'm going to get it to him in just a second, but a couple follow-ups. One, Dominic Cruz, he did say that. But it's easy to say when you wipe somebody out. All respect to Mizugaki, but when you wipe them out really quick, hey, you just had a good fight. I get it. But I've heard from 99% other fighters, ring rust is a mofo. So fighters slow down on that one. And the other one, that was an awesome gift you gave Volkanovski. Um he had to inform you. He had to ruin the moment and inform you he was a Nuggets fan, but I appreciate yeah. the loyalty. Then the Nuggets chimed in on social media, but it was all executed beautifully. But that was the, that was such a cool gift you gave him. Well, doesn't it show you just how real he is? That even in that moment, moment he couldn't fake to me yeah. that he was a Denver Nuggets fan and he wasn't overly elated to be receiving a Boston Celtics jersey. It is going to be interesting, though, because the Nuggets, of course, are the number one seed in the Western Conference. The Celtics, the number two seed in the Eastern Conference, they're both still alive as we sit here in late April. So let us hope that maybe they collide or the Celtics outlast the Nuggets and then I can really go at Alexander Volkanovsky. But he's just such a, a good dude, and I'm glad that uh, that, that crossed your wake because a lot of people miss that, I think. <laughs> Speaking of things crossing our way, how about you two using the playoff analogy and conveniently leaving out my team? You guys are sitting there with your cigars and your whiskeys. Cheers to the 49ers, <laughs> the Patriots. John, you know what I mean, right? Your Patriots, my 49ers. I'll let you guys on, in on a secret. In about five years, this conversation is going to be a little bit different. Both of you guys are going to be sitting there with Browns. You heard it here. <laughs> All right. Well, that's one ready. Thing. The other thing is Triple C, man. Here's something that I wanted to talk to you about, John, was, you know, I mean, you know more than anybody, the retirements, they're coming. They keep coming. But does the UFC replenish those stars? How about getting Triple C back on the UFC roster? Because he is one guy that is battling something that a lot of people aren't. He is battling being the greatest combat athlete of all time. That is something big on the plate. I think that's something that the UFC needs to promote a little bit more. Do you feel like this time around his run will be a little different as far as promotion, fan reaction. George is right. It's been a minute since we've seen him. We have so many new fans that come on. Some people might go, who's this guy again? Other people are going to say, it's great to have him back. What do you think when when, it, when the time comes, what do you think that whole uh, Triple C reaction and moment will be like? It really is a great point because there just aren't a lot of combat sports athletes that can lay claim to being the greatest combat sports athlete of all time. Kayla Harrison is somebody who certainly can inject her name into that conversation. But I do believe that it speaks to Cejudo's promotional value that he is getting this championship opportunity because I think even Aljamain Sterling was surprised when he pushed it out to the masses. Who would you rather see me face, Henry Cejudo or Sean O'Malley? And as popular as Sean O'Malley is, there was a groundswell of support for Henry Cejudo, so much so that it seemed like the public was kind of split on that. And Dana White, at times in the past, seemingly expressed some reluctance to letting Henry Cejudo just jump back in to a championship setting because other athletes haven't necessarily been afforded that opportunity. Um, but ultimately, he was given that opportunity, and I think it just speaks to 
you know, his ability to move some metrics that maybe we are not privy to. And I think it just speaks to his legacy and his resume being deserving of this immediate opportunity. So I'm excited to see what he can do with it. Promotionally, you know, you're even giving me some thoughts as to how I might approach it. Um, But I'm happy for Aljo, obviously, to get the chance to add this type of name to his legacy. And um, the Bantamweight division has never been stronger. We're 80 deep at 135 pounds right now. It's pretty incredible. Henry has this knack for just creating heat with his opponent, right? He could be fighting Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. He'd find a way to make this guy uh, somebody that we all think is a villain or something. And he's great at that. And so what I wanted to ask you was, from your standpoint, calling a fight, fans, we love it when there's some kind of heat attached to a fight. It makes us forget about rankings for a second. We just want to see who's going to eat crow. But from your standpoint, calling a fight, does it make it easier for you? Does it make it more difficult Uh, Does it feel any different, your call, from fight to fight like that? I enjoy friction, and I think most combat sports fans really enjoy when there is genuine heat like we're going to have with Davis and Ryan Garcia in the boxing world, right? So there's a lot of it for me that I can really latch on to. But I don't know that it affects the actual call goes when we're calling the fight. It certainly affects the buildup. You know, I know when I see two fighters go at it on the way-in stage that my format's going to change because they're going to add that B-roll package into the show. So, yeah, there's nothing quite like it. Even when I think back to the series between Kamar Usman and Colby Covington, and I know the heat between Covington and Woodley was even worse, but those were some of the most enjoyable, tense moments for us as we get ready to call those fights because it feels a lot like a street fight, even though it's in a controlled setting because both guys just want it so badly for pride, almost for more than money or, or glory or anything else. John, before we went on the air, we were talking about a show called Winning Time, where they go back and look at the uh, the Lakers and, and some of their early years. And throughout that series, you hear the play call during the game, right? And it, it reminds you of this moment where, um, you know, like if you're watching a fight, if you're a fan, some people will say, okay, the booth has maybe evolved over the years. You have a lot of more uh, uh, actual fighters in the booth, right? Or And even in other sports, you have you know, Charles Barkley, Shaquille O'Neal, these guys are all getting in the, into the mix, right? Um, but the play call throughout the years has been a little bit different. And I've always been a fan of that more traditional era. That's great. But I also like the evolution of what's going on today in the, in the younger cat. Um, yourself, do you ever put yourself in one of those holes? Like To me, it kind of seemed like a mixture of both. Um, is there anything that you appreciate from the newer generation and something you appreciate from the older generation? Well, if I'm interpreting your question the right way, as far as the play-by-play style, I have to be willing to pivot. And you guys and I have talked a lot in the past about this blurred line between analyst and play-by-play announcer and mixed martial arts, which doesn't necessarily exist in a lot of these other sports. I'm watching playoff hockey last night, and the man who I believe is the greatest play-by-play announcer of all time, Sean McDonough, he's going wall-to-wall during this hockey game, even though there are pictures. And our sport doesn't necessarily need that. We do like to let a lot of the natural sound in. I've had to pivot from two-man broadcast booths to three-man broadcast booths, doing post-fight interviews, and not every broadcast is different. I think you got to think at this point I'm coming up on, I don't know, 15, 16 different broadcast combinations. But uh, I'm always willing to give whatever the broadcast needs. And that can mean during an individual fight. You know, I'll just tell you guys, just peel back the curtain a little bit. One thing that I noticed with Joe Rogan and Daniel Cormier in that troika, uh, they both start very strong. So first prelim of the night, 
I kind of feel like traditionally on pay-per-view night, not as much is going to be expected of me because those guys are just so juiced and geeked and yoked to be there for fight number one uh, that they're just ready to go. So, you know, I've tried to adjust. We take it very seriously. We're trying to be as listenable as possible for eight hours and... Um, We've never had a perfect show, but the goal will never change. You know, we're trying to enhance the live event. And uh, any time that there's a suggestion that we've taken away from a fight because of our commentary, you know, that's uh, not a good night for me. Did I answer your question? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I do want to ask you something because uh, you brought something up earlier. Endeavor, right? WWE and all that. Um, our job is to sit there and analyze everything and figure out, okay, how can this work for both? Can they help each other out? Uh, fighters and wrestlers but one thing that got me going was all right well what about the things that wwe uh does succeed in as far as the theatrics of the entrances of everybody that walks in and all that stuff and how crazy the play-by-play can get um do you ever think about what that can affect maybe your guys's broadcast like do you ever think at any point um the two entities will talk and maybe share things like hey we believe that this should be added on the broadcast side and vice versa, the UFC to WWE. Have you ever thought about that? Not until this moment, but I wouldn't be surprised if our chief of content, Craig Borsari and Zach Candido were to talk to their guys and maybe do some idea sharing. I remember when I covered the first mixed martial arts event of my broadcasting career, Elite XC1 in Tunica, I guess they call it South Haven, Mississippi in 07. And as much as I love that live event, I was a little off put with like the dragons breathing fire as the fighters would walk out. Perhaps that was the boxing traditionalist traditionalist in me at the time. But I don't know. I never sort of gravitated towards the theatrics. I Obviously, I appreciate what Adesanya and some other fighters have done to make their walkout special. Uh, and I'm all for the synergy, right? Like, I am not a lifelong professional wrestling fan, but every time I come across it on TV, I can't take my eyes off of it. So I think there's some synergy to be had. I think it'd be cool if, uh, you know, we led into them or vice versa and we could do some sort of crossover leading into the broadcast. I think there are a lot of opportunities for uh, for cross-promotional success and um, happy to, to do my pass in any way possible. Would you like to work that booth? I just Is don't think I'm qualified, but uh, I'm ready for any challenge. I'm sure there are a lot of people who would suggest I'm not qualified to call an NFL football game at this point in time. I might challenge that. But, no, I just don't have any sort of historical framework for the WWE, not unlike hockey. And uh, even though I followed the Bruins for years, there would be some very difficult transitions much, for me. Not a great night for the Boston Bruins. And uh, my daughters – Oh, I thought you were going to counterpunch me and ask me how the Lakers did. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm too old to be throwing darts like that, right? No, my daughters are Boston Bruins fans, but I got mm-hmm. back from Dallas last night and I walked into my daughter's bedroom at 9.45 p.m. and I saw her Florida Panthers sweatshirt as part of her outfit for today. Mm-hmm. And at that point, Panthers were up 3-2 and dad just wasn't having it. So I was like, hang on. I was like, you can wear that, seri- that, that sweatshirt anytime you want, except when these two teams are playing in a playoff series. So you can't wear your Florida Panthers sweatshirt to school tomorrow. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. I think you can definitely call WWE because you can do anything is what I've noticed. Jimmy Smith, I never knew he had it in him to do WWE, and I liked, I enjoyed his run as well. Um, when you have immense talent like you guys, the crossover is just a matter of, like, give me a few weeks to prepare and let's go. Um, you don't have to comment on that if you don't want to. But the other thing I was going to say was, as you guys were talking, man, I really miss Cejudo coming in those Olympic-style gold shorts I wish there was still something that Venom and the UFC could work out so these fighters do have that um, 
the, the fighters can show off their personality. Like you said, John, sometimes dragons and fireworks might be too much for some. Dana White doesn't like it. I'm a fan of the stage. I'm a fan of theatrics. I think it makes someone in the arena go, well, who's that guy? Well, geez, I'm, I'm yeah. going to look him up. Why is he wearing gold? I hear the Olympic music. Oh, wow, this dude, you know, and that's how you make fans. Then when the show's over, you walk out and you say, Dad, can I get a Cejudo t-shirt, you know? And um, so I really would like to see them hopefully uh, under this Endeavor era talk and see how they can maybe change things up a little bit in that regard. Yeah, no, I think it's fair. I think some of the individualism has been lost in the current model. And I do believe that if you had the right person on MMA Junkie Radio, be it somebody from Venom or the UFC, they'd be receptive to that. I don't have all the information. I think there are probably some reasons as to why it has been pretty uniform. They have made some exceptions for uh, for Bryce Mitchell getting his camo shorts. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, I'm not the biggest skull and crossbones guy in the world, but I'm all for the ability for these fighters to uh, to represent themselves. You know, Gilbert Burns is synonymous with a Brazilian flag headband, is he not? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like when Paul Craig weighs in and he's sporting the colors of Scotland. You know, like, there's something to that, man. Um, all right, John, we'll, we'll hurry up here and, and finish up. Um, the We discussed your comment that you think Izzy is the greatest middleweight in the world. And I know that you do have a voice now. I felt like you've had it for years. But now when John Annick speaks about something, others react. And I'm sure you got a lot of feedback on that. Was it 50-50? Cosign, I agree. Did you get smashed? No, it's still Silva or maybe another name. Um, personally, you know, I felt like it's still Anderson Silva. But I don't feel like he's way ahead and Izzy obviously can't catch him. I just feel like it's a, a close one, too, with Silva there. What was the reaction to that comment? Well, I do think that over the last 18 months or so, I have become a bit of a lightning rod and maybe I offer up an opinion and the next thing you know, there's a headline that says, Anik declares, to which my twin brother says, how about Anik just shuts the fuck up and calls the fights for once, right? But I am asked my opinion. I do have a microphone in my face a lot and I am a very opinionated individual. I think my opinion on on Israel Adesanya is the greatest middleweight of all time is the minority opinion. Maybe it's 30% to Anderson Silva, 70%, but I'm okay with that. I'm a fan of mixed martial arts who has an opinion at the end of the day. Granted, I have a relatively high-profile job in the space, but if you want me to sit here and outline a case for Israel Adesanya, you know, I don't think that Anderson Silva's Wikipedia page over the last several years is particularly flattering with a lot of the red stripes, and I do think that that is a part of his legacy, albeit not a part of his middleweight championship legacy. You see that green stripe against Derek Brunson, a fight he didn't even necessarily win. But Israel Adesanya in five years has eight championships fight wins in the UFC to Anderson Silva's 11, and I believe there's no greater win in this series than the win that Israel Adesanya had over Robert Whitaker, and he beat him twice. So I don't think you can overstate the value of two wins over Robert Whitaker. Humbly, I believe mixed martial arts is on an incline, so I believe this era to be deeper and better. There's going to be a lot of people that are going to come out here and denigrate the likes of Paolo Costa and Jared Cannonier and some of these other middleweight contenders. I believe Adesanya's era has been better, and on the strength of the win over Alex Pedeta right now, Humbly, I submit to you the opinion of one man here in South Florida. I believe Israel Adesanya is the greatest middleweight champion of all time. Okay, Sorry. two things here. Two things here real fast. Um, Rose is setting up for a three again. I want to get it to him. Um, Silva has twice as many title defenses. Where does title defenses weigh in these discussions? And two, I get it. I mean, yes, the tail end of the career, not flattering. The same could be said about BJ Penn or whatever. 
But I think most of the times when we do discuss goat talk or best ever talk or pound for pound talk, we kind of talk, well, not pound for pound, pound for pound is more current. We talk about the the run, the run, and then we know that Father Time pretty much gets a piece of everybody, almost everybody, minus your GSPs and Joneses. More on that later. But I mean, where, does that not factor in with you? It's kind of, you know, like, yeah, he's 40 something, but I think towards the end, he just felt like I can still compete. The body's still responding. Sure. Let me take an L, but oh, by the way, 16 straight, 10 title defenses. Could have been 11 if not for Travis Luter. Could have been maybe even 15 if not for. Oh, you need me to bail out the show? I got to fight Bonner, or I got to fight Griffin, or James Irvin on three weeks' notice. So there was a few things there too. You know, I don't know. No, I think that there's a lot of meat on the bone as far as what you're saying. You know, title fight defenses is the number one category in determining the greatest of all time, as far as I'm concerned. But the championship fight wins is very much the same conversation for me. And Israel Adesanya in the past took great issue with me suggesting that his first win over Robert Whitaker was not a title defense because he had just beaten Kelvin Gastelum. He felt like he was defending a piece of the title and he very much considers that a championship title defense. But it's a broader group of the elite great mixed martial artists who aren't willing to have their legacy potentially be compromised a little bit by a bunch of late career losses, right? I'm talking about even Daniel Cormier. Stipe is never going to allow for that to happen. George St. Pierre, Khabib Nurmagomedov, the list goes on and on. There are a lot of guys that don't want to have eight, nine, ten losses in mixed martial arts as a consensus greatest of all time. So certainly for me, Anderson Silva is one of the all-time greats of this sport. I look forward to his Hall of Fame induction, and I regret that I've maybe been attached to the, this a little bit more than I would like, but um, I'm very convicted in my belief that Israel Adesanya is probably going to have more title fight wins when all is said and done, and I don't know. I just see his era as as just being stronger with respect to Rich Franklin and everybody else. He definitely has more time to not only catch him, surpass him, Surpass them all. Israel's outstanding. I will disagree, though, with Israel Adesanya. The minute the bell rings, you cease being the interim champion, and you're the title challenger to the undisputed, which is what happened against Robert Whitaker. So that doesn't count as a title defense. Um, and Izzy, don't get mad at me, because at the end of your press conference, you said, as long as you spit the truth, all respect. So even though we disagree, that's the truth, and that's how it is. It's not a title defense. I'm sorry. Um, all right. Goes. What you got for John Anik? I know you wanted to get a few more in here before we let him go. Yeah, so what what I'm really thankful for, John, is that you have your podcast because you're great at what you do, but there's more to you than just your call on Fight Night, right? And so you mentioned it. Sometimes your, your voice gets you in trouble or whatever. Uh, I wanted to ask you, Colby Covington, is everything good now? Has everything been squared away? Because that's something that kind of came up, right? Yeah, I mean, good is probably a fine adjective to use. Ultimately, all I need to make sure is that the professional nature of our relationship is such that I can call his fight, ideally have a fighter meeting with him before his fight. We have discussed things privately, and, uh, you know, I do think that I have to be careful when it seems like I might be backing one welterweight candidate over another. So my first order of business with Colby, whatever he had said However threatening, right? And I didn't feel particularly threatened, right? It was Colby Covington in character as far as I was concerned. But I just have to take very seriously when a professional athlete on this roster, low profile, high profile, is upset with something that I have said. So I had to attack that layer first. And uh, I think Colby and I are in a pretty good place. And, uh, you know, I'm excited for whatever is next for him. I've always had a great relationship with him. And I guess one thing that I took issue with a little bit was 
our interaction in London. It was amicable, but this wasn't me, you know, kissing his ass per se. This was me just acknowledging my appreciation for him weighing in as the backup. It was a very short interaction. And, uh, you know, I've always really maintained a positive relationship with the guy up until what happened with Bilal. So, um, you know, I got love for the man and, uh, you know, I hope he'll let me do my job whenever the time comes. This isn't necessarily directed towards Colby. It's just directed towards athletes in general. Uh, growing up for us, you know, you had your sports center, but then you had to open up the paper and hear what people thought. And you didn't hear people's opinion until you showed up at school the next day or work or whatever. Now you're getting people's opinions on your phone every second. How do you think athletes have kind of evolved into, you know, not just getting that criticism when you read the newspaper or open up a magazine, just getting it 24 seven. Um, what do you think that's like? You know, George and I talk about it sometimes and, and some athletes seem to be able to take it in stride and then some athletes, they're a little sensitive. Where do you, how do you think that all plays out? And not just for athletes, I'm, I'm sure you probably have to come across this sometimes. Well, right, I'm not a professional athlete, but my profile didn't sort of elevate until I was an old man, right? So I think for a lot of these professional athletes, they're charged with having this social media voice and developing this brand if they so choose. And they're young men who still oftentimes and women can't get out of their own way. I have said in almost every interview I've done that at 27 years old, I couldn't pay my rent and I was an idiot. You know, I was grasping at straws, right? Felt a lot more comfortable in my own skin 10 years later at 37. So I give these athletes a lot of credit. You know, I get frustrated sometimes when I see an athlete just totally disengaged because of the criticism. And it's easier said than done to have a thick skin, right? I mean, the way some of this stuff rolls off my back in terms of the criticism that I don't think is warranted. Obviously, the constructive criticism, I'll eat that stuff breakfast, lunch, and dinner. But the criticism that maybe I don't think is warranted rolls off my back in a different way at 44 than it did at 31 years of age. So I feel like the professional athlete of this era does have a wisdom that maybe the previous generation did not. But it's really, really challenging, you know, when you win a fight even and people don't think you've won that fight, oftentimes the venom can be worse than if you've lost a fight that the masses think you actually won. So I give our roster a lot of credit for uh, for navigating what can be a very challenging space. John, I want to be respectful of your time. Are you good? I got some rapid fire, but if not, we'll wrap up. We've already gone Hit over me. half an hour. Okay. Hit me, brother. Do the annex watch the pay-per-views at home, and what's that experience like for them? So my twin brother watches by himself. Oftentimes my wife just can't stay up past 10 p.m. Eastern time because she's hitting it hard with one of our three kids, usually at 5 a.m. But my twin brother is locked and loaded. And candidly, bro, he didn't even come to UFC 287 in Miami, which wow. is 55 minutes from his front door because he enjoys the pay-per-view experience so much. He's selective at times with which shows he actually attends, but uh, nothing makes me happier than to have my twin bro uh, you know, sitting right behind the broadcast booth. But yeah, he's really the one who who ingest this stuff at the rate that I do. All respect to Jason, but I kind of meant your kids. Oh, so they're older now. They're older now. So my daughter came to UFC 287 for the first oh. time. She's 11 years oh. old. She did leave after the Masvidal Burns fight because she was absolutely exhausted. I knew she probably couldn't stay up for the main event. My yeah. nine-year-old daughter is all about it. Loves watching right. the fights whenever I'm watching on my phone. I remember one time the Beverly Hills Ninja, Jordan Wright was fighting. 
And the next mm-hmm. morning she woke up and she said, did the Beverly Hills Ninja win? I said, no, mm-hmm. he did not win the fight, you know, but uh, she's all about it. She was too young to go to UFC 287. And my son, every time he sees the UFC on TV, he just wants to go in the living room and, and act it out and actually fight. So he's not quite there yet. You see one of them doing what you do in the future? Yeah, I think, you know, my eldest daughter seemingly has the chops to do some form of television. I wouldn't think it would be in the sporting world, but, uh, you know, she's already read a teleprompter and and seemed to have some ability to do that. She's a pretty good orator as far as her diction is concerned, so uh, we'll see. I saw a story on the internet that said uh, something, I'm not going to get this right, but something about an older guy took his daughter to a sports game, maybe it was a college world series or something like that, and years later, she was now calling it, and he was in the stands as a fan. But just that connection, and then obviously time changes everything. She's older now, and 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 he and th- those trips inspired her to do, you know, uh, be involved in the game somehow. Yeah, there are a lot of sort of legacies in broadcasting when you talk about, and even non-broadcasting, Will McDonough and Sean McDonough, even though Will wasn't necessarily a broadcaster, did a lot of TV work, but he was more known as a Boston Globe columnist, but obviously Joe Buck and Jack Buck and Ian Eagle and his son doing good things in the modern day, so uh, no, that would be cool for me. I think for most parents, there's some reluctance to sort of like give any sort of appreciable push to your kids into your own industry, and television can be brutal, right? So... Not as brutal as being a fighter, but TV can be a pretty ruthless world as well. So, um, yeah, maybe a soft, soft little Heisman push if uh, if Riley wants to do it. We'll see. How, how much of the producers talking to you when you guys do the in-ring, or sorry, in-octagon post-fight? Like, wrap it up, wrap it up, wrap it up, let it go, let it go. I'm sure it has to do with the timing and the spacing of the show, but how brutal is that? The other day I heard DC just, he had to cut someone off and rush off, but is that like, um, not intimidating, but is that a stressful position? Well, if it ever gets to be too much traffic in your ear, you can always just pop your earpiece out. I mean, ultimately, when you have the microphone, you do have control of the broadcast. And I think only once in 11 years of doing this was it ever too much direction that I had to actually pop out the earpiece. Our producers are the best in the business. Yeah, oftentimes it's clock related. It's never about question formation, at least in my experience. But yeah, rap, one more. And sometimes there might be a navigation like they have with Clay Guida where all of a sudden you weren't expecting to do a loser interview, but you end up doing one. But yeah, it can be a tricky situation. The more challenging thing is just being able to take a producer count from 20 down. You become very conditioned to this experience when you get the repetitions. But, you know, going off the air as I'm talking and doing that rollout on pay-per-view in my ear, I'm hearing 20, 19, 18, and I'm talking. And for a lot of people, when the first time they have to take a TV count as you're going to break. For a lot of people, it can be challenging. So uh, experience wins all, man. You know that. Tell us something about Fight Night. Your predecessor, Mike Goldberg, used to piss like uh, 10, 12 times per show. I mean, he'd be rushing back and rushing back in. I think he used to pound the energy drinks. I don't know. But how about you? Is there something we don't know about you that happens on Fight Night consistently, whether it's maybe your, your twin brother making you, maybe throwing you off your game, making you laugh? Or, uh, you know, you got a bag of Cheetos. I don't know. Do you have anything that a lot of people wouldn't know that you do on fight night that just keeps it going? Yeah, you know, we've lost a lot of people. Let me say this. If you can tie it into this, too. Joe Rogan used to say that before the show, he used to eat eggs and waffles and chicken because it's such a long day of broadcasting he needed the calories so maybe tie it into something like that so i work more on an empty stomach right for whatever reason i just feel like 
that's more how I thrive. I don't like to be sort of tied down or weighed down by food. And sometimes even if you're eating the right food and the right carbohydrates, it can hit you in a way where you just want to go take a nap. You know, one thing that I've learned actually recently is that aspartame can actually collapse the vocal cords. So if I feel like I need a little sugar, now I'm actually more inclined to go to the high fructose corn syrup, go to the regular Coca-Cola instead of the Diet Coke. But I've also learned that I need rubber-soled shoes because oftentimes I need to sprint to the bathroom. So even though I have some very nice dress shoes, I need to go to a fucking cobbler and get some rubber shoes put on the soles. But one thing I just wanted to say, we've lost a lot of people on our UFC crew. And I would say at least as far as my Mount Rushmore of our UFC crew, I have lost two members, our longtime pay-per-view producer, Bruce Connell, who passed away in 2018, and Susie Freetown, my best friend on the crew, our makeup artist. So I always say a little prayer for them before I leave my hotel room. I always used to have that conversation with Brucey before I leave, like, Brucey, going to do another pay-per-view, man. Just carry me through, brother. Thank you, love you, miss you. And then I added Susie to that little prayer. So every time before I leave the hotel room, I have a moment with those two. And uh, more often than not, it inspires us to a pretty good broadcast. So, Is there a greater human being than this guy? Swear to God, man. Those huh. shout-outs, beautiful. Bro. We're almost done. Who's got a better chance, the Celtics or Bruins going all the way? Is your heart equal to both? I know you mentioned McDonough. Earlier, I'm sure you maybe caught the tail end of Johnny Moe's, a lot of history there. I'm a Chick Hearn and Vin Scully guy, personally. But anyway, um, yeah, what, what do you think of these two? They're formidable teams. The Ruins record setting. Celtics, obviously, pretty hot as well. It's hard to not want this one really badly for the Boston Bruins based upon the regular season that they had. I am a former Celtics season ticket holder for two years. I Basketball was my foremost sport. Actually, my mom just gave me this a picture of me playing high school basketball right there. Uh, so basketball was my sport growing up. So I always feel an attachment to the Celtics and, you know, my mother at one point when she was babysitting, Bob Wolf, who was an agent, brought John Havlicek home to surprise her because Honda was her favorite player. So my family is very, very attached to the Boston Celtics. But if you're asking me right now which outfit I think has the best chance to win it all, it's the Celtics. I believe right now the Celtics are the best team in the NBA. The Bruins lost last night. It's probably their worst game of the year. The Celtics are the best team in the NBA right now. The best team doesn't always win, but I do believe the Celtics are better than the Bucks, and I do believe the Larry O'Brien trophy is going to be on the duck boats here in the not-too-distant future. One to ten, what do I get for this? And Havlicek steals the ball. That's a good Johnny Most, yeah. The (laughs) all-timer Johnny Most. That's pretty good. Last one. If Jones were to lose to Steve A, does GSP become the go? Or what's your... I guess what's your go? I should ask you this. How does I think everyone's accepted Jones as the goat now with that second title? But where does that stand, and could that affect them? You know, it's hard, right? Because so much of the John Jones versus George St. Pierre argument is rooted in the fact that John Jones is unblemished and has never lost an MMA. So were we to all of a sudden have a loss? Yeah, I mean, that would reopen the conversation, I would think. You know, Khabib Nurmagomedov just doesn't necessarily have the longevity to hold down that number one slot. But certainly, were John Jones to suffer a loss, even as a heavyweight, uh, yeah. I mean, there are a lot of people, as you guys know, that still do consider GSP number one. I certainly felt that when I was with him recently in Miami. Um, But yeah, skill for skill, John Jones, for me, greatest mixed martial arts athlete I've ever seen. John, thank you so much for the time. I know we took a lot of it. Somehow I trapped you in... Say, oh, just a quick one, and you fall for it every time, honestly. <laughs> Maybe when you turn my age, you'll be more wis- you'll have more wisdom and see Bro. that older guys trap younger guys all the time. With these you know, it's, 
It's always my pleasure. I know I got to be sharp when Goes is hitting me with the hard-hitting questions. He actually was was actually pretty tame on me today, which is kind of nice. But you guys know I always got mad love for you guys, the OGs, and uh, I always got time for you. I wish you all the best with your health. And, uh, yeah, when you texted me, you, you know, I, dude, any fucking time you need me, you just say the word. Always here for you boys. Awesome. You so love you, buddy. Um, knock it out in a few weeks like you always do in Newark. We'll be tuning in. We do our watch-alongs, and we just love the broadcast. Whether it's you, Joe, in D.C., or you and whoever, it's always a quality squad bringing it to us, killing it as always. Thank you, John. Have a good day. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, boys. Much love. Talk to you soon. All right. See you. Holy cow, guys. I'm a little embarrassed. We kept them <laughs> over 40 minutes. It doesn't uh, feel like it, though. It doesn't. It never does. It never does. Time flies. We talked about so much. We got his input on 288. Seems like he would rather give those guys the proper preparation for that key spot versus Leon Edwards. But at the same time, they hand him the script and he runs with it. You know, like I was trying to tell him he's, he's, you know, it's like the captain of the ship, right? And the owner tells you, we got this much in weight and storage and we got these people in first class. You got high seas and winds. You know, hope you make it to New York, whatever. You get your instruction, then it's his job to do whatever he has to do. But it's always nice to get hear his opinion on what he likes because part of his job, as he's calling the fights, is to talk about the importance of the fight. Is he leading these guys towards the winner could get a title shot? Or is this just a fun fight that the fans want? You know, like, so I, I honestly wish he was a part of that. Um, JR told us before that he was in those types of meetings with Vince McMahon and Vince Russo and some of the other guys when they discussed direction of their pay-per-view main events and what they want to say. That's because he was on the call. I think it helped that part as well. Um, he's a busy guy. I don't know if he wants to dedicate another hour of his week to something else other than his kids, but still, it was nice to get his input. Yeah, I know those interviews are always a lot of fun because, you know, John is like the type of guy where, even if uh, we couldn't talk MMA, we could talk about so many different things. And he's just kind of like a guy's guy. To me, that that's like a guy like John Anik and even Jason Anik. Those are guys that you're trying to get to buy your pay-per-view. How heavy is dad's turtle, by the way? The 55-pound turtle was story, was story was funny. Uh, Isn't he closer to like 80 or 90? He's got to be, yeah. Yeah, mm. Peanut. Peanut's probably, probably, about, probably about 90 pounds, yeah. Yeah, that's not an easy carry. You mm-hmm. <laughs> said he tried to carry his kid so he could get out of. Uh, uh, <laughs> I appreciate uh, that. Was he with Zap from American Gladiators? What, what what kind of lady do you want to turn it over to? She wants to be a power lifter or something. Um, so Carmooch defends against the uh, Deanna Bennett. She's defending her title. Carmooch, man, don't sleep on her. She's had a pretty good career over Strike Horse, UFC, and now Bellator. And now vanquishing Juliana Velasquez and people that said, well, you were, you know, you shouldn't have won that fight or whatever. You know, Velasquez was the better fighter. She proved that she wasn't. Uh, and now she's finished her, you know, for the second time. Uh, she's won five straight. This will be her second title defense. She really only loses the top fighters like Valentina Shashenko, Isha Tate, Alexis Davis a couple of times, Ronda Rousey, Sarah Kaufman. A lot of these are just either champions or former champions. Um, and I got to remind people, she gave Shashenko a loss like about a decade ago or something like that. So he's really one and one against her. But 
What, what do you think of this main event over at Bellator 294, the, gir- the gorilla against Deanna Bennett? I was going to say the exact same thing. Is like, how how long are we going to mention Liz Carmouche's name and just act like, you know, oh, she's been around a while? Like, she has, but she's a formidable fighter. Like, what I like about her, she makes adjustments in fights. I think this is a, a really, really good fighter, and I think she's come across in her losses greatness. You know, mm-hmm. her losses have come to great fighters. And I, I applaud Bellator. I love that they have her there. These back-to-back cards, man, I, I kind of like them. I, I dig when they do it. It's exciting. And, um, yeah, this is one that I'm I'm excited to see. And only Marlies Conan has finished Liz Carmouche. So incredible career she's had. This other card features fighters like Terrell Fortune, who's been around for a while now, and Danny Sabatello, a favorite of ours, Tim Johnson as well. I'm really interested in Arlene Blanco, who actually had a decent fight against Chris Cyborg. But Sarah McMahon now comes over and she says, hey, look, I want to fight Cyborg or whoever. I want to fight for the title. And if she can beat Blanco, she might be in a position to do so. Now, she'll be fighting at 45. We used to see her in the UFC at 35. So we'll see how that one works out. I don't think um, she can. You don't think I, she can beat Arlene Blanco? Arlene Blanco doesn't get the credit that she deserves. She's a very, very tough fighter. And Sarah's going up in weight. Um, I think this might be one of those fights where you see somebody coming over from the UFC and it doesn't work out. Possibly. The following night, we have the finals of the Bellator Grand Prix. Raytheon Stotts against Patchy Mix. Don't forget, Raytheon Stotts is also an interim title holder, so I believe he puts his title on the line every time he fights in the tournament, the same way the champ does when when, when they're usually fighting. As you all know, Sergio Pettis could not compete. He's been out, and since then, He's been tabbed to fight Patricio Pitbull Frady uh, because that fight's going to happen in June. These guys are coming off. I think Bellator just thought, if our champ's ready to go, let's give him someone. And that's pretty historic, and arguably Patricio Frady's the number one fighter ever at Bellator. So it, that that kind of gives you some privileges, you know, some velvet rope privileges, we'll call it. Stotts and Mix, the winner will get a million dollars, the Grand Prix belt, the interim title belt, and that shot against the winner of Frady versus uh, Pettis, so that's not a bad consolation prize there. Uh, Ivan Flipman and Flotman all week. I like Patchy Mix throughout the whole tournament, but Stouts is a beast, man, with a motor, and if he doesn't get caught in that web of that body triangle that Mix is so good at, you know, he, he's pretty formidable uh, in the stand-up. So I've been going back and forth on this one, but as of right now, I'm reciting with Stouts. It's not you know, sometimes you have these fights where early on in the fight, you could tell what direction it's going to go in. Patchy Mix has this style where he's always going to be in the fight. And you're right, the motor, that's going to kind of come to play a lot in this fight. So I think I'm going to end up going Patchy Mix. But I, I one thing for sure is I think it's going to be a really good fight. And I do think it's going to go deep. I like the Saturday card just a little bit better. Elima Lee McFarland in the Coleman event against Kana Watanabe. Aaron Pico is back. He fights James Gonzalez. Ray Borg, he's coming over from uh, Eagle FC. He's fighting he, uh, Kyoji Horiguchi at 125, may I add. Both guys went to 135 and had good careers there, but they're back at 125. So this will factor into the USA Today Sports MMA Junkie rankings, in my opinion, especially if one guy starts the next. Yancey Madero's a very popular fighter. He's fighting on the card. Mads Rennell versus Justin Gonzalez. 
Oh, a quick plug for Yancy Medeiros. Apparently our colleagues, Nolan King and Matt Erickson, have been working on something with Yancy for the past few months. I can't wait to see it. I don't think it's dropped yet, right, Goes? I don't think so, no. Yeah, they said they have kind of do a special feature on them, we'll call it. And it's been in the works for a while. Um, our colleague, Matt Erickson, has been public with this, so I'm not out on, outing him, but he had a health issue that kind of set this thing back, and now they're catching up with Yancey and putting the finishing touches. But if they say it's good, I know it's good. Keep an eye on that. Kai Kamak is also on the card. Keone Diggs, uh, a few other names. You should check out this card. They're back-to-back nights. Uh, they're out in Hawaii. Early start times, 8 p.m. Eastern for the Saturday card. And we have 8.30 p.m. Eastern for the Friday card. Um, goes in final, in closing, I should say, Pavlovich versus Blades this weekend. I've been going back and forth. We have a standout striker in Pavlovich who just KOs the shit out of everyone against a standout wrestler in Blades who can suffocate you if he takes you down. To be fair, I like Blades' hands. He's been punching people too. And I'm sure Pavlovich on the ground is probably – you know, uh, gotten better. I just don't know if he can make up the time to ever catch, uh, you know, uh, somebody that's been wrestling all their life like a like a Curtis Blades. But this fight is pivotal in the heavyweight division. We got a champion who left the company and a champion who's talking about retirement who's going to be fighting a former champion who's probably fighting his last fight. So I see this division kind of wide open. And this fight, I think, is going to have a big say in the the future of the division going forward. Yeah, it's interesting. because I've gone back and forth on it too, but where I ended up settling is I just feel like uh, I don't want to call it striker versus grappler because they can, you know, they're, they're well-rounded fighters, but they are better at one thing than the other. And mm-hmm. I feel like in the deficiencies, I think Curtis Blade is a little bit better of a striker yep. than Pavlovich is a grappler. And, and that's enough for me to say, I think it's, it's going to be Curtis Blades on this one. I agree. I agree. As long as he's not too stubborn and stands for too long, you just can't do it over and over. Now, that said, I remember saying Izzy should exploit Pajeda's ground game and go to that wrestling, you know, put it in his head. Hey, it's there when I want it. I can keep you down. I can win rounds. I can, I can, uh, you know, drain the gas tank. He didn't, and he won. So, now, he could have also lost because Pajeda was also teeing off on him, but that roll of the dice uh, you know, it happens. And I think it's that fight or flight mode. I just have to accept that some fighters can develop a game plan, but once things start, man, you really are looking for even a kitchen sink to throw out the fucking guy if you have to. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, it's it's not that easy to stay composed and, and follow the game plan, at least not until they sit you on the stool and look in your eye and go, hey, what did we talk about for the last eight weeks? Anyway, tune in. You got to check that out. That happens this weekend on ESPN+. Plus and uh, it starts at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. So it's an early fight card. That's the main card, by the way. These fights are going to start early, and uh, that'll lead into Bellator, and I don't think it'll interrupt with NHL and NBA playoff um, viewership, if you will, mm-hmm. if you like sports like Goes and I. Brad Tavares, friend of the show, he's on the card. Bobby King is back. He fights Jared Gordon. And a few other matchups here. Hani Yaya, I always enjoy watching him. Muhammad Uzman, who won Ultimate Fighter versus Junior Taha. Someone's going to sleep there. And a few other names. Just look at the schedule tab at the top of MMA Junkie and check it out. All right, guys. Let's bow out of here. 
Um, folks, catch us Mondays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Uh, in addition to the two Junkie Radio shows on Monday and Thursday, catch us live on Mondays when we do spinning back click with our colleagues, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. We're out of here. Enjoy your weekend. Go out and be a champion.